One of the things I did this summer was uh, read and or listen to a number of books. I like to listen to books while I wash dishes. This is my thing. Most evenings I wash the dishes, and so I put on an audio book, and so I'm reading. I don't know if it counts. Some people say it doesn't count, Nick. I say it counts because I set a goal to read 100 books this year, and if those don't count, then I'm really hooped. I have to add them to my, add them to my, my list. Anyway, I was able to read and listen to a number of books, and one of those books traced the threefold office of Christ through, uh, through uh, different uh, particular works of literature. Um, and, and I don't know if you've ever heard about this, the threefold office of Christ. It's not unusual. It's not sort of a new thing. But of talking about Jesus in his roles as prophet, priest, and king. And so this August, I wanted to take just three weeks to do a short series on knowing Jesus in his threefold office. And that office of prophet, priest, and king, it has rich sort of biblical depths and it uh, has a, a history throughout uh, the church. There's a lot we can learn about who Jesus is. But what's also neat is as we learn more and more about who he is, we also learn something about the ministry that he's given us and our own calling in lives as believers. And uh, I want to make the case, and many do, I'm not the first, Martin Luther also made this case, that in Christ we too have a prophetic, priestly, and kingly calling. And so as we dive into who Jesus is and learning about him in his threefold office, it also helps us to learn something of who we are. Before I dive into some of the scriptures, I wanted to note uh, some of the church history development of this, of this idea, because it's, it's quite neat to hear what some of these uh, older writers have to say. One of the first theologians to describe the work of Jesus in terms of his prophetic, priestly, and kingly ministry was Eusebius back in the 4th century. And he talked about Jesus as the sole high priest of the universe, the sole king of all creation, and this word, which is great, the sole ark prophet. It's pretty solid. The ark prophet of the Father. The Old Testament is full of these images of priests and prophets and kings uh, who are anointed for their ministry. But in Jesus, who we know as Jesus the Christ, and Christ means anointed one, he takes all of these offices into himself and fulfills them. John Chrysostom picks up this idea as well in the 4th and 5th centuries. He says, in old times there was three sorts who were anointed, the prophets, the priests and the kings. And then later on, the fifth century, another writer said, in former times, anointing that had been given to kings, prophets, and priests was now poured out as the fullness of the divine spirit into this one person, Jesus, the king of kings, the priests of priests, the prophet of prophets. And so as these early church leaders were thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done and his ministry and his calling, they're they're tapping into a really rich biblical truth that in the Old Testament you had these anointed leaders and now in Jesus they're coming to fulfillment. And so today I want to focus on the work of the prophet and Jesus as prophet. In the Old Testament, the, the prophets did a number of things. If you read through the prophetic book, books, you some of them do kind of crazy stuff, right? Uh, a lot of them speak about the future, but a lot of them also call Israel to faithfulness in the present time. So it's not just foretelling something, but there's a forth telling, a calling 
people to faithfulness and calling people to truth. Often they performed miraculous signs, uh, but also they gave God's word to the people. They often had to boldly speak of uh, the issues that were going on in the contemporary culture and calling people to repentance. They often gave guidance or deliverance. And they also received a, a divine call to sacred ministry. So you might think of Moses at the burning bush receiving a call, right? Or you might think of Isaiah in his vision of God in the temple where he's, uh, he's commissioned for his work. So there's a communication of the word of God. But there's also a looking to a future prophet as Israel goes along in her uh, story. There's a real recognition that a lot of the prophets are pretty flawed. Moses disobeys God in sinful anger. Elijah runs away and is suffering from worry and anxiety and depression. Jeremiah curses the day he was born. Right? These aren't necessarily, you know, superhero examples. These are r real people who struggled with their calling. Jonah outright refuses his call. And then when he finally does agree to, to be the prophet to the people in Nineveh, he hates that God actually forgives them and shows mercy to them. And the book ends with him being whiny about it all. And so Israel was quite aware of the failings of her prophets. And there rose this hope that God would fulfill his promise made in Deuteronomy. And we're going to turn to Deuteronomy 18. That God would fulfill his promise made through Moses to raise up a new prophet. And so if you turn with me to Deuteronomy 18. Oop, losing papers. Deuteronomy 18. There we are. Verse 15. There's a larger section here that I'll explain in a minute. But the key verse I want to focus on is verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God, this is Moses talking, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. God will raise up a prophet from among you. Moses has this keen sense that as he is saying farewell to his people, saying farewell to his role as a leader, that someone else is going to need to take over this role. And there is a, an immediate fulfillment of that, obviously, in Joshua. And then that gets carried forward as God sends prophets. And there's a line of prophets throughout Israel's history. But this idea got picked up as Israel knew that the, her prophets weren't all necessarily the best. Uh, that there was prophets who failed. And as Israel herself continued to disobey and uh, neglect the word of the prophets, that one needed to come who would be the prophet of prophets. And so here's Moses in his farewell instructions to the nation. He, he renews the covenant with the people and, and the leadership passes over to Joshua. But Moses speaks of himself as a prophet, a prophet like me. And he knows he is God's instrument of communication, right? Think of, of even how he's commissioned. He is to speak God's word to the people. And he also brings the people's word to God, often in frustration. <laughs> They're not listening, God. I'm, I'm tired of it all, right? He's mediating between them. We'll actually talk about that more when we talk about the priestly role next week. 
But Moses is called by God to be the communicator between Yahweh and the people. And this wasn't unusual in the other nations around Israel. Often the, the people would, would listen to the magicians or the sorcerers in their cultures to try and get a sense of what the gods wanted or were saying or why they were angry or et cetera, et cetera. But Israel was to listen to God's prophet rather than any sort of pagan means of guidance. And, that, you know, just to pause for a minute... It's really important who we listen to, hey? Like, it's really important. Um, it's, I mean, it's helpful to hear all sorts of things and to engage with people who are different than you and all, you know, believe different things than you and all that sort of thing. But it's really important to, to know, un, you know, from whom we receive truth. Who is the source of truth in our lives? And the source is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we have allowed other voices to root in our hearts, it's okay to heed people's words, but if, if those words have taken a deeper root in our hearts than what Jesus would say to us, we have a problem. In fact, we've become almost more like a pagan nation that's taken the word of someone else and allowed that to shape their lives rather than the word of God to shape their lives. And I think in an age of social media where there's so much information coming at us, not just information, sort of neutral information, but there's so much sort of angry opinion coming at you often, it can be very easy to kind of get drowned in that. And we need to heed the voice of truth. I'm not saying it's, you know, you don't engage with people or you don't, uh, you know, consider different viewpoints. That's all healthy. That's all good. Um, but it's helpful, it's important to be able to guard our hearts in such a way that we can say, I, I can hear that word and I, I understand where they're coming from, but I, I can disagree with that. I know what Jesus has to say about my life or about who I am, uh, about God's word and what he's doing. So here God is promising a future prophet that's going to come, a new Moses, who's going to speak God's word to Israel. And in the first century A.D., we have the Jews are anticipating that final prophet. And the New Testament writers make a point of, of identifying that final prophet is Jesus himself. And many of them point to this passage in Mark. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Now, this may, this may not seem like a very sort of prophetic thing in terms of, of speaking a word about the future or speaking a word into someone's life that, you know, that person had, would have no reason knowing, that kind of a word of knowledge, prophetic word we might say. But in terms of the prophet calling people to God, calling people to faithfulness, calling people to truth, this is very much in keeping with that spirit. We read Jesus' prophetic calling in his opening proclamation in Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. And for Mark, this is a key verse. It said, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. That's prophet work. Proclaiming the truth of God and calling people to him. He was saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Mark 1, 14 to 15. And many people saw that as Jesus did this, he was fulfilling 
that prophetic role. In fact, in John 6, 14, you don't need to turn there. But as the people hear the mighty words of God and also see the mighty deeds of God through Jesus, this, they say this, this is John 6, 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And there's that expectation that they have going all the way back to Deuteronomy of one who will come. And as they see Jesus, as they hear his words, as they see the miracles, as they uh, often, right, they talk about him teaching with authority. There's an authority that they that shocks them, right? Because there's a proclamation of the truth of God coming from God himself. And here they say, this is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. And so here is Jesus who is, again, the word of God, right? The proclamation of God who's become flesh and is dwelling among us. I like what Richard Mao says about this. He says, we might put the case this way. In ancient Israel's social economy, God saw fit to develop three separate offices, the prophet, priest, and king. They were along distinct and distinguishable lines. But with the coming of Christ, the offices are now gathered within one person. So to know Jesus in all of his offices is to know him in a more complete way. Right? Like the Old Testament prophets, Jesus is anointed and set apart, but not merely with oil, but at his baptism with the descent of the Holy Spirit upon him. We might think of the moment where he reads Isaiah's promise of the Messiah who is to come, who will proclaim good news to the captives, and so on and so forth. And then he sits down and with prophetic authority announces, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm bringing it to pass. As Jesus preaches the kingdom of God, proclaiming the word of Yahweh as no one has before, as I said in his mighty words and his mighty deeds, he's, he's doing the prophetic things. He's performing the miraculous signs. He's clarifying the true meaning of the law. He rebukes false teachers. He predicts his death and resurrection. He teaches about the conclusion of God's plan of redemption for the world. And then following his resurrection, Jesus continues to exercise his prophetic ministry by giving signs and proclaiming the word of God right up to his ascension. And so Jesus is fulfilling Deuteronomy as that new prophet, that some would say the new Moses, right? He's the prophet of prophets. So that's Jesus. So what does that mean for you and me? of Jesus' prophetic office. What does that mean for us? Well, Martin Luther, in the Protestant Reformation, he really made a point of wanting every Christian to know that we, too, have three offices, those same three offices, and they're derived from Christ's threefold office. The idea that because we are a new, a new creation, we are in Christ, we share in a, in a, you know, in a small sense that same calling to exercise uh, the offices as Jesus does in his perfect sense. And so he, Martin Luther, made a point of saying, we too have a prophetical office of proclamation to proclaim the truth of God. We have a priestly office of service that we offer to one another. And we also have a royal office of kingdom authority as we exercise our calling and our lives as Christians. And this is hinted all the way back, actually, at the first century, 
This, again, is John Chrysostom, and he's writing about what happens at Christian baptism. This is really, really neat because he ties it in to this mark of identifying that we are in Christ. Listen to what he says, talking about the person being baptized. He said, you also are made a king, priest, and prophet in baptism. A king because you've dashed to earth all the deeds of wickedness and slain your sins. A priest in that you offer yourself to God, having sacrificed your body and being yourself slain also. For if we have died with him, we shall also live with him. And a prophet, because you know what shall be, and you are inspired by God, and you are sealed by him. So in our baptism, as we proclaim our faith in Jesus, every Christian who is now in Christ also is given a prophetic calling, a priestly calling, and a regal calling, or a kingly calling. And you may say, well, what does that actually look like? Does that mean, you know, all of us need to stand up in the church service and give, you know, some sort of prophetic word? And, and you know, well, perhaps, right? We believe in spiritual gifts for today, and God may give you a prophetic word. And if that's true, great. You can come and share that. You obviously, you can come and share it with me, and then we discern together um, how and when to share that with the body. But we follow the, the bib- that comes out of following the biblical instructions for order in the worship service that comes from 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, well, throughout the New Testament, let's be honest. So that may be the case. You may feel a sense of giving some sort of prophetic word, but as we've seen when we look at Israel's prophets, it's not just uh, a foretelling about the future, but often the prophetic role is uh, a calling to faithfulness in God or speaking the truth in a particular situation. So for many of us, we are called to proclaim the goodness and the righteousness of God in our daily lives in all sorts of ways. That might mean to utter encouragement, or it may just simply be to call people back to faithfulness. Philip Ryken says, this prophetic calling is true of fathers and mothers of doctors and lawyers, scholars and teachers, business people, students, roommates. According to all of our various callings, we all have some responsibility to speak prophetic words, to offer priestly service, and to exercise kingly authority. And so I want to wrap this up with just thinking about some of the practical dimensions for us of that prophetic calling in our lives, that prophetic office in our lives. And again, I've said it a few times, but first... We're called to speak the truth. We're called to speak the truth. The truth even in the face of opposition. Truth which is not falsehood or half-truths. And at a time, again, when I think our society is facing all sorts of turmoil or bitterness or fear, we need Christians who can communicate biblical truth with love and with grace. So first, we're called to speak the truth. That also means learning how to discern the truth well, right? And being immersed in, in Scripture. Not just sort of saying what I, my best sort of Christianized thoughts about things. <laughs> but to, but to uh, heed the voice of truth. And the second thing I want to say, especially for those of us who are leaders, any of you who have 
influence in someone's lives, whether you're, you know, you're a parent and you, there's kids at home or you have nieces and nephews or grandchildren or whatever, or you're a leader in your workplace uh, and you have people that work under you or you're uh, at school or you're, whether you're in the academy or the church or the marketplace, whatever, those of us who are in roles of leadership need to be aware of the temptations that come with power and influence. Our words can guide and can educate, and they should not be used to coerce or to abuse. And so we need to be aware of our own hearts and try to speak and live the truth of God. The third thing I want to say, so first, we're called to speak the truth. Second, uh, for us as leaders, we need to watch our words, guide others, not abuse others. The third thing we need to think about is teaching the next generation. I love how in the Great Commission, right, go into all the world, baptize. Uh, what am I missing? Go into the world, baptize. This is really bad. I should know this, right? It's been two and a half months. My point is the fourth one is teach. There's another word there. Uh, and I always get it confused because every time I hear you need to go into all the world, there's also a call to stay and be where you've been planted. So I kind of, I mess, I've messed up the Great Commission in my head because I've put, <laughs> I've thought about it a lot. But there's a call to go and teach. Again, to pass on the truth that we have uh, been entrusted with. And I wanted to tell this story last night uh, before bed. Rowan, Rowan stays up longer than uh, Noah and Willem. So Rowan and I are out swinging uh, at, the, at the play structure. I, I was before we were swinging. We're sitting on the deck. Um, he was having a snack. And he, he just looks over at me. This is so, so great. He just looks over at me and goes, what do people look like when they're dead? It's such like a six-year-old question, right? I go, well, they look like they're sleeping. This, again, this is to a six-year-old, right? He's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. What do they look like when they go in the ground? I said, well, they're sleeping in the box. Okay. So do they have, do they have their thoughts and everything? I said, well, no, their body's in the ground, but their spirit's with Jesus. Oh, okay. He's thinking about it, eh? Oh. Like grandma, right? He's thinking about my grandma, Grandma Kane. He goes, yeah, grandma told me about her mom and how she's with you. Yeah. He's I said, well, how? He goes, well, how does that work? I said, well, your spirit. You, you were talking like this is, you know, having a major eschatological conversation about, you know, what happens to your body when you die, my six-year-old. I go, well, um, God made it so your your body and your spirit go together, but when death happens, they get separated, and your body, you know, saying your body wears out. It just wears out. It stops working. Like, okay, that makes sense. And I said, then your spirit goes and it's with Jesus. You know, for everyone who believes and follows him, your, your spirit's with Jesus. You're okay. Yeah, like grandma. That's good. And then I said, and then when Jesus, is, Jesus told us when he comes back, he's going to bring everybody with him and give them new bodies. He's like, well, that sounds great. I said, it is really great. He's like, well, I get to, I get to see grandma. I said, yeah. It's like, well, does she know I'm her great-grandson? I said, I don't know, but you get to tell her. <laughs> I'm not sure if she knows. I don't know, but, I mean, I'm sure she'll figure it out pretty quick because you'll probably tell her. He goes, what does he say? So then later on, our conversation moves to swinging. We're swinging, right? 
or Sweeney. Um, and he goes, and then we won't, then we won't, what did he say? We won't get old anymore. So then, our, then we don't get old anymore. I said, yeah, but we don't get old anymore. He goes, that sounds really good. I said, do you want me to read you the part from the Bible about that? He goes, yeah, sure, whatever you'd like. <laughs> I said, well, I, I better be really poor if I just dropped this, right? I better, I better, I better fulfill my prophetic office to teach him well, right? This is what I mean about bringing this down to earth. This isn't, it can be the proclamation in the, in the church service, and it can be the, you know, that very sort of dramatic moment of the word from the Lord for the nation, for the time, but it can also be speaking the truth and love to your, to the six-year-old, right? So I read him a little bit of Revelation 21 and, and, and God coming to live with us and God making everything new and, and death is no more and pain's no more and the crying's over and all of that. I go, that sounds pretty good, eh? He goes, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And then he just changed the subject and we were off to something else, right? Uh, at one point he goes, well, we see God. I said, yeah, you get to see God. He goes, well, how does that work? I said, well, right now, like, God is spirit, but... but and he, you know, he's in heaven. We're on earth, but God's going to bring heaven and earth together. That's what happens at the end of, of the Bible. That's what God's told us. Oh, so he'll be with us. Yeah. Like quite literally, that's where the Bible goes, right? God will be with us, make his dwelling among us, right? All through, right? That's Ezekiel and da, ba, da, ba, da, Revelation. And we'll see him. Yeah, he'll be right with us. Oh, and then he, there's this place that he's frustrated the pictures are gone off of this building. Total six-year-old thing. I love it. He goes, well, maybe when God comes and makes it all better, those pictures will be back on that building. I said, I don't know, man, maybe. <laughs> and then off we went to something else. There's a call for us to speak the truth. There's a call for us as leaders to, to guard our own hearts. There's a calling to teach the next generation. And fourthly, and I want to end with this one, there's a calling for us to speak hope, to speak encouragement in difficult times. How often we need the words of an encourager to spur us on, right? Both to receive that, but also to speak it. And I think it's easy for us, it's easy for me to get overwhelmed with all the stuff in life and, uh, and take on stuff that's not my own. And Philip Ryken, in his book about exploring uh, the threefold office of Jesus uh, through, actually, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, right? Tolkien, as a Christian, uh, embedded the threefold office in the Lord of the Rings. And he made this quote. This is Philip Ryken. And I just, it really spoke to me about taking on too much that's not ours to take on. This is Ryken. He says, like the free peoples of Middle Earth in the Lord of the Rings, we too live at a time when all realms shall be put to the test to stand or fall under the shadow. Christians have always lived in such times. That's a good reminder, right? It's not new. As we wait for the return of our king. In the meantime, God has given us the ministry of prophets, not only to help us discern the times, but also to give us the strength to persevere. Whatever good work God has given each of us to do is sure to be a struggle. For whenever one enemy falls, another one rises. But in the long struggle, we must do our part in our time. And then he goes on to 
to quote a section from Lord of the Rings. He says, as Gandalf explains to Aragorn, other evils there are that may come, yet it's not our part to master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in us for the succor of those years wherein we are set, uprooting the evil in the fields that we know so that those who live after may have clean earth to till. In the long struggle, we must do our part in our time. And I think I can often feel I need to master all the tides of the world. I need to deal with that, or I need to take on this, or this is being spoken online, and it's so against God, and I just, what am I going to do about that? And often Sarah says, That's, there's other people who are called to look after some of that. You're called to look after what's right here. You're called to look after what's right here. To do faithfully what God has called us to do. To uproot the evil in the field that I know. What's this area that God's given me charge over? And how can I live for him in that area so that those who live after me may have clean earth to till? And so we're called to proclaim the truth of the gospel, called to exercise caring and courageous leadership, to teach the next generation, to give encouragement when hearts fail, and to tend to that which God has given us, and to surrender the rest to him. And so as we wrap this up, I want to ask, what, what field, what area of life have you been given to tend? Is there, I mean, all of us have our own hearts, our own lives to tend to, that we are responsible for, but some of us have other responsibilities as well, family or work, caring for a loved one. What, where have we been called to tend well? What burdens does Jesus call me to surrender to him? And what in my own life do I need to uproot and heed the truth of Jesus and his voice? Jesus is the prophet of prophets. And he's here today with his hope and his salvation and his life. May we abide in the word of truth. May we know the truth which sets us free to live in Christ. And may his words resonate in our hearts May we, as little prophets under the great prophet, proclaim the love and the truth of Jesus with courage to all that he has called us to serve. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this morning, and we, we do thank you for your love for us and what you are doing in the world. Lord, we thank you that you sent your Son to speak the truth. Father, we thank you that you call us to yourself. We thank you for the grace and life that we receive from you, and we thank you for the calling, Jesus, that we have in you. We thank you that you've given us by your Spirit uh, the prophetic calling to speak the truth, God, to hear from you, to proclaim your word, to live in repentance to follow after you. Lord, would you help us to do that well? Lord, we think of our community and those around the world today that are in need. We think of those in our church family who are suffering. Jesus, would you come alongside each one and be with them? We think of the needs in our own area, Lord. We pray for rain. 
We pray, Lord, for uh, the continued, um, pray for wisdom for our leaders. We pray for strength and uh, love, Lord, in marriages and in homes. Lord, we, we know it's only in you that we can live in safety, and we pray you would keep this nation under your care, that you would guide us in the way of truth and justice. Lord, we pray that your name would be known upon the earth, that you'd bring healing, Lord, to our land. Lord, we pray you'd create in us clean hearts, that you'd sustain us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue to defend us by your mighty power from all the temptations of the enemy. Lord, that you would keep us in your grace, that we wouldn't fall into sin or run into danger. Lord, I pray you'd continue to guide and govern us by your Spirit, that we'd remember you in all the various cares and occupations in our life, that we would do what is righteous in your sight. And Lord, this morning, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness, uh, for all that you've done, for your creating us, for your keeping us, for all the blessings that we know in this life. But above all, God, we thank you for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins and the new life of the Holy Spirit and the hope of glory. And Lord, I pray that we would live out uh, this faith and hope we have in you that we'd proclaim it, Lord, with our words, but also proclaim it in how we live our lives, that we'd walk before you with holiness and righteousness all of our days. And we ask that in Jesus' name. And with the words you taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? And I'll send you off with the benediction. It's good to see you. It's good to be back. Bless you. Hope you're doing well and you've had an okay summer. I mean, like, summer's over in my mind. I keep saying, how was your summer? Realizing August is still mostly here, but, you know, whatever. It's good to see you. Receive this benediction. Children of God who are loved and forgiven in our Lord Jesus Christ, may you heed the prophetic calling of God in your life to hear his voice and to speak his truth with love and with grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Have a fantastic week. Love you very much. If you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday. Bless you. Take care.